So Jesus asks that you would use your word to help us follow you more and be more devoted to you. Ask this in your name, Lord. Amen. Good to see all of you here. Welcome, those of you who are watching on the podcast as well. Good to have you here. Happy spring. Happy first Sunday of spring. Uh, I have a friend who used to work at a church, and all of her neighbors knew that. So she and her husband tried to be good examples of what it means to be a Christian. The problem was they had two small kids. And it is very hard to be a good example when you have two small kids. And one was a baby, the other a little over a year old. Both were colicky. Neither slept through the night. In fact, they would wake up about 30 minutes apart all night long. So during one really bad week when her husband was on a business trip, one afternoon she got the one-year-old down for a nap, was rocking the baby whose eyes were very heavy, and the mom was thinking, this is awesome. I'm going to get to take a nap. But when she went to put the baby down in the crib, baby's eyes popped wide open and it was really clear that baby wasn't going to go to sleep. And my friend said she was so tired, this rage just erupted inside of her. So she stepped back from the crib and just let fly a string of profanities, every word she could think of, just to kind of blow off steam, right? Then she picked the baby up and went outside because it was a sunny day and all the neighbors were out in their yard. And there on the front porch was the baby monitor with the volume all the way up. (laughs) They'd heard it all, right? And there's just this knowing smile on the neighbor's face. We're starting a new sermon series called Confessions of an East Sider. I like that picture. Those things we think, the feel, and do that maybe we don't want lots of people to know. One of which is, I know what I should do, but I don't want to do it. Like my friend who knew she shouldn't lose her temper, but kind of who could blame her, right? And for me, this may be one of the biggest things that holds me back from experiencing the fullness, the bigger life that Jesus really does offer. There's a lot of me that wants to take risks to be part of Jesus' rescue mission in this world and obey what he says to do in Scripture because I know it's the better way. There's a lot of me that wants to do that, and then there's a part of me that just doesn't want to. It seems hard, and I prefer easy, and You know, and sometimes it seems following Jesus will keep me from having fun or it will keep me from getting what I want out of life. And so I just kind of don't do this. And I'm not alone, right? Like, you're with me in this, aren't you? Like, this isn't just confessions of a pastor, right? This is, just give me a nod that we're with you, pastor. Someone told me that if you look at one of those who's who's list, who's who list in America, you know, these people who've done these great things, that a lot of those people on that list are pastor's kids, He said, the problem is it's the same with the FBI's most wanted list. (laughs) I find that discouraging, really. And and how is that? What is that? Like, how is it that we can believe in God, you know, and and say we want to follow him, and yet, at times, it doesn't seem to take? It's like we're born-again breach. Because I think the reason is a lot of us, deep inside what we want, you know, we say, gee, I want Jesus to give me a life-changing experience, as long as that doesn't require changing my lifestyle, right? But the promise of the parable we just read, where the farmer sows seed on these four different types of soil, the the promise is if we follow Jesus with everything we've got, then there's this harvest of of good things. Jesus says the seed on the good soil produced a crop 160 or 30 times what was sown. In other words, if we let Jesus really deep into our lives and follow him with all we've got, it's going to be harder. It is going to be harder. But there's this 
abundant harvest, this bigger harvest of joy and of adventure and excitement and meaning and purpose and good relationships. And the four soils could represent some different things. Could be four different types of people, hard, shallow, thorny, or good. I'll let you figure out which one you are. Or it could just be four different conditions of our heart, three of which really keep us from experiencing the bigness, the fullness of the life Jesus wants to give to us. Psalm 84 says, Better is one day in your courts than a thousand elsewhere. That's a great verse about how connecting with Jesus really is the most amazing thing ever. And I've experienced that, and I believe that. And yet there are a thousand, thousand elsewheres that I run off to. And maybe you do too. So let me kind of walk through this parable to kind of help us understand how we can make Jesus our number one priority, how we can begin to want Jesus and his kind of life more than anything else. And the first thing we need is to understand who Jesus really is. Jesus said the seed on the path is when anyone hears the message about the kingdom and does not understand it. So understanding is key. The evil one comes and snatches away what was sown in their heart. The seed here represents God's word to us, everything God wants to say. It also represents Jesus because he is God's word in the flesh. Jesus is all that God wants to say to us. But the problem is sometimes we don't understand what Jesus is really all about. And our culture and the devil love to lie to us and distort Jesus and sort of give us these warped images and make it seem like Jesus is out to get us or we're not going to have fun or whatever. In fact, let me give you just a short little multiple choice quiz to kind of demonstrate some of the lies and half-truths that distort our image of Jesus. So, how would you complete the following sentence? The reason Jesus came is, A, so I could give intellectual assent to doctrines about him, B, to help me find success and comfort, C, to get my hindquarters into heaven, D, to give me a list of rules that I should do, probably for my own good, or E, Dear God in heaven, please tell me it's more than any of those. Which would be the best answer there? E, yes, well done. You all get an A. Yes. Now, all of these, there's some truth in all of them, but Jesus is so much more. See, Jesus isn't boring, but we make him boring, which makes us not want to follow him. And you know what all of those bad answers have in common? They tame Jesus. They domesticate Jesus. He becomes the rule maker or the safety and comfort guy or the doctrine police. That's not who he is. You know, it is worth noting that when Jesus was on earth, he never condemned bad people. He condemned stiff people. What does the church do instead? We condemn the bad people and applaud the stiff people, right? Hey, you're uptight. Way to go. You know, you want to be a pastor, right? You'd fit right in. Jesus didn't do that. Jesus is a radical rebel who wants a relationship with you where he will wake you up, shake you up, so he can take you up to a bigger, fuller, deeper, richer life. He launched a rescue mission to bring up there, down here in you and in me and in this whole world. And he is not after your begrudging submission. He's after your heart. And he's not saying the problem with you is you're too much of a hedonist. He's not saying that. He's saying the problem is you're not enough of one. We seek quick, temporary pleasures rather than sustaining eternal ones. He does not want to suck the joy out of you. He wants to lead you into the depths of it. And when we understand that, following him gets a lot more interesting. Step two, in order to want Jesus more than anything, we've got to dig deeper. 
Jesus says the seed that falls on the rocky ground receives it with joy and springs up. But since they have no root, they last only a short time. When trouble or persecution comes because of the word, they quickly fall away. So these are the times we get excited about Jesus, but we can't sustain it. So say like, for instance, maybe you come to church on a Sunday and you leave feeling inspired. It's been known to happen, right? But then you're no more. You get into the car and the first thing that happens is you have a fight with your spouse on the way home from church, right? I mean, I've heard that happens in other churches, you know, not here, right? Actually, one of our elders told me this week that long time ago when they first started coming to the church, they weren't really sure why they were coming to the church, not really into this whole Jesus thing. And one day as they were leaving church in the parking lot, her whole family got into such a big fight, she ended up throwing her Bible out the car window, got out of the car and was going to walk home, right? So if that's ever happened to you, you are not alone. You are welcome here. That's what we do here at Bell Press, right? And she said they managed to calm down eventually and, 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 you know, moved on. And over time, Jesus became a whole lot more real to that family and led them into some amazing healings and transformations and all kinds of stuff. She started with a shallower faith, but Jesus took her deeper. <clears throat> and there are a lot of things that make us shallow in our faith. For instance, consumer Christianity can do that. If all we're coming to church for is maybe to be a little entertained and some programs, good programs for us and our kids, nothing wrong with that, but it needs to be more than that. It needs to be about connecting with the God of the universe. Otherwise, our roots will be shallow and the littlest things will throw us off. Or head knowledge, nothing but head knowledge can make us shallow. We sometimes think being a deep Christian means knowing more things, being able to quote more dead white theologians or win a Bible trivia, that sort of thing. But biblically speaking... Depth is not knowing more things, it's doing what you already know. That's why Jesus doesn't talk in theological language. He talks in simple stories that people can understand. And if our faith is not in the radical, rebellious Jesus who did not come to make us comfortable but to make us dangerous to the devil, if our faith is not in that Jesus, then that is a faith well worth losing so we can dig deeper and connect with the real Jesus. Understand Jesus, dig deeper. Step three, pull up the weeds in your life. Jesus says the seed falling among the thorns refers to someone who hears the word, but the worries of this life and the deceitfulness of wealth choke the word, making it unfruitful. He put that in there just for Eastsiders, don't you think? I think that one's deliberate. Careers, kids' activities, desire for accolades, money, even church activities, they're good things, but they can crowd Jesus out if they become too many things. You know, if you think about it, I think we sometimes are to God what dogs are to us. And here's what I mean. You know, when you come home from work, your dog is so happy to see you, right? He's like, oh, oh, this is great. You're home. I love you. You're awesome. Let's play. Ooh, a squirrel, (laughs) right? Right? That's what we do with God, right? Oh, God, I love you. Oh, better is one day in your courts. Oh, I worship you. Ooh, a Mercedes, (laughs) right? Oh, yeah. I was preaching. Now I'm meddling, aren't I, right? And just like the weeds in a garden can choke out the flowers... Those, all those things in our life can choke Jesus just out of our life. And the problem is, some of those weeds look an awful lot like flowers, don't they? The first house we lived in in California was owned by the church, and they'd done all the landscaping before we moved in. And I do not know shellac from Shinola about flowers. But my dad, one day he was visiting, he's a great gardener, and he was out there furiously digging in the garden, and he said, why is your garden nothing but weeds? And I said, oh, I thought those were flowers. And he's just looking at me like, just don't tell people related, okay? I was just, 
You know, weeds, the new flower. That's my motto. Wealth, success, church activities even, they look like flowers. And we give them a lot of time and energy. And here's where the metaphor breaks down because all of those things can be very, very, very good. But not if they become, if we give so much energy to them that they crowd Jesus out of our lives. And then we wonder, why doesn't Jesus seem more real? Where is his power? Why don't I experience it? Well, you know what? It's because we're focused on the Mercedes or the job or whatever instead of Jesus. Understand the real Jesus. Go deeper. Pull up the weeds. And if we do those things, Jesus says we will be good soil and Jesus will sink deep into our lives. And produce a crop yielding 160 or 30 times what was sown. So then what helps us do those things? Because those are hard things to do. What helps us do those things? Well, there's three practical tools. Three things that will help us be good soil that Jesus sinks deep into. Three things. And the first thing we need is the farmer, a.k.a. Jesus. If you ask the question, who is good soil in this parable? It's the disciples. But not because they understand it. Because they don't. Right? And Jesus even sort of makes fun of them for that. When they ask why he speaks in parables, Jesus says, because the knowledge of the secrets of the kingdom has been given to you, but not to them. In other words, well, y'all understand it, right, guys? And you can kind of see the disciples going, oh, yeah, 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 we get it, but, you know, could you explain it? You know, for them, Jesus, for, for, for them. And so the, Jesus says, well, I speak in parables so that hearing they do not hear and seeing they do not see. Oh, clears it right up. Thank you very much, Jesus, right? See, so often we think God's word to us should be crystal clear. But there is a value in not fully understanding because it forces us to go to him for clarification. What makes the disciples good soil is not that they're spiritual giants. They're not. They're more like spiritual pygmies. What makes them good soil is they go to Jesus for the answer. To really experience Jesus, we need the farmer. We need him. And not Jesus' doctrine, nope. Jesus, the one who loves us just the way we are, not as we should be. In this story, the sower who represents God casts the seed on all kinds of soil, even the bad soil. And you think, man, that's a waste of good seed. Shouldn't he just put the seed in the good soil? The point is that God gives his love wastefully, extravagantly, even to people who will not receive it, who are hard or rocky or just don't want anything to do with them. And when we experience that kind of extravagant love, it makes us want to follow Jesus more. I recently was talking to a guy who said he used to be kind of into the party scene, kind of you know, drinking that sort of thing, drinking too much, that sort of thing. He said what changed him was not a list of oughts and shoulds. It was realizing that Jesus was not saying to him, clean up your act and I'll love you. He was saying, I love you, full stop. And he said that made me want to follow him and do what he says because that way I'm going to experience the bigger life he offers. In the Bible, God says, when you get serious about finding me and want me more than anything else, I'll make sure you won't be disappointed. So we need to connect with him. Worship is a place that we can do that as we sing and pay attention to those songs. Spending time reading or in prayer. And I know some of these things are hard to do. I get it. You know what? My mind wanders sometimes too when I pray. My wife and I are part of a season tickets pool for the Mariners, and we get to pick five games a season. And yesterday was the day that we got to pick our games. Well, after that, I went to work on this sermon. And as I always do, I spent some time in prayer before I worked on the sermon. Except my mind kept wandering to those five Mariners games. Like, what's wrong with me? Like, they don't even win. Right? Like, at least Jesus wins, right? But then my mind's... And, and, you know, and I'm a pastor and super holy, so it must be really rough for all of you. 
Like, I just really feel for you guys. But you know what? There are some times in prayer my mind does not wander, and I do connect with God, and I experience his presence, and he gives me courage, and he gives me joy, and he gives me vision, and it's an amazing thing. And next week at the Immerse Conference, I and others from this church are going to give some real practical tools for how you connect with God. Sessions on things like how to hear God's voice, or minute prayer, being prayer warriors, praying when you don't know how. So I'd encourage you to come so we can connect with Jesus. A friend of mine who lives in Florida recently told me that she was at Epcot Center, and they were handing out roses, and she got one, and as soon as she got it, felt nudged by God to give it away to someone. So she started praying and then saw a girl in a wheelchair and said, God, is that the person? Well, right after she prayed that, a woman stood up, walked over, and said, where'd you get that rose? My daughter wants one. And my friend said, well, is your daughter the girl in the wheelchair? And this woman said, yeah, that's my daughter. So that seemed like more than a coincidence. It seemed like God answering her prayer, right? And so she, gave, she went over, introduced herself to the girl, gave her the rose, and later that day saw the girl still hanging on to the rose, really happy to have it. Now, that's just a little thing, but my friend said, it just gave me a lot of joy that day. Because when I think about the vastness of time and humanity, that God would be that specific, that close, that personal for me and that girl, it just gave me joy. When you connect with the God of the universe, it is a rush. To be good soil, we need the farmer. Second thing that makes bad soil good is a plow. To loosen up the dirt that's been packed down. Because sometimes we just get in a rut in our relationship with Jesus, right? And we just kind of go down the same road and it just gets, the dirt just gets hard. You know, often what we do in churches is we inoculate you, give you just enough Jesus to make you immune to him for the rest of your life, right? But not give you the real, radical, amazing Jesus. So we need something to plow up those religious ruts. And the Bible can do that if we look at it carefully. Other people can challenge us, but nothing plows up the ruts in our relationship with Jesus like risk. Take a risk to do the things he asks us to do. For instance, give 10% of what you earn to the church you're a part of to be used to further his rescue mission in the world. And then you see him provide, maybe not for your wants, but for your needs, and you discover with his help you can be happy on way less than you thought you needed, which is freedom. Or maybe it's to serve someone and to see the ways he uses you to transform lives. And I know it's really hard, and you know, in me, one of the things I've discovered is on these things, there's often this initial inertia Right, like There's this resistance to doing these things because they're hard. But if I just leap over that first inertia, then I get all kinds of joy as I do what Jesus asked me to do. <clears throat> to be good soil, we need the farmer, we need risks to plow up the ruts in our lives. And then there is one other thing that makes bad soil good soil. What is it? Oh, come on, city dwellers. Fertilizer, you're so polite. The actual word is manure, okay? I'm from eastern Washington. This is what you call it. It's manure. Because few things make us closer to God than hard times. Because we need him. And God's specialty is bringing good things out of bad things, like the cross, where Jesus died, which is a bad thing, but his death purchased our forgiveness, which is a good thing. Now, God does not send hard times. They just happen just like the farmer doesn't need to manufacture manure for the fields, you know, manure happens, right? It's just on its own. But the farmer uses it for good things. Just heard a story about a church in L.A. that's 
adopted the roughest school in Compton, California. 40% of the students are either from a group home or a foster home, have no consistent adult in their life at all. Several of the men from this church volunteered to help coach the football team. And one of the things these guys were sort of horrified at was just the condition of the locker room. So these men got a whole bunch of people from the church to help paint and refurbish the locker room. Well, one of the young men on the football team who was required to be part of the project had a really hard life, different group homes, no consistent adult, all of that, turned to one of the ladies, one of the women from the church, and he asked, why are you refurbishing and painting this locker room? And she said, because I love you. And he laughed, and he said, nobody loves me. So the woman set down her paintbrush, went over to this teenage football player, and hugged him. Totally freaked him out, right? Like totally weird. And he said, nobody has hugged me in seven years. But this lady wasn't done. No, 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 no. She went over and got 12 other women who lined up and one by one hugged this guy. Now, for some of you, that's like, that's hell, man. Like, (laughs) that sounds awesome, awful, right? But as each lady hugged this teenage football player, by the end, he was in tears. And in the weeks that follow, started asking some questions about this Jesus that these people were following, who would lead them there. And started to feel loved by Jesus and by these people. And suddenly, things that had looked good before, like the party scene and all of that, seemed less cool than the love and the connection he was experiencing with Jesus and in that community. And after that, the pastor of the church, who's also a police officer in Compton, started lining up 15 adults to adopt each football player, go to their games, cheer for them, so that each one could know that they matter to Jesus. And the result is Jesus is becoming very real to those kids, but also to the church folk, because Jesus suddenly wasn't just the rule giver or the safety and comfort guy. It wasn't just about going to church. It was about following the rebellious Jesus who came to make us dangerous to the devil's plans. And they understand more who he really is and what he's really about. They pulled up some of the weeds, those things that distract. They went deeper than consumer Christianity, took risks connected with Jesus, and saw him bringing good things even out of the hardest of lives and hardest of situations. And they are experiencing Jesus' power to make all things new right there in Compton. And suddenly he's not boring. He is the most exciting thing there is. That's what Jesus can do. The real Jesus, not the churchy Jesus Not the pablum propagated by pale Presbyterian pastors peddling prosperity to placate comfort-seeking parishioners. (laughs) Not that Jesus. The real Jesus, the King of kings, the Lord of lords, Alpha, Omega, beginning and end, risen Savior who makes all things new, starting with you and starting with me and going out into that world out there. Amen. So what are some risks that you can take starting today? Maybe it's to serve or to give. Go to immerse next week to connect with him. Maybe it's to just spend a little less time on those weeds that distract and a little more time on the things that really matter, like Jesus and his people. Right? Those things that, that, and if you do that, Jesus will become more real. And his way of life is definitely harder. But what you will find is a bigger harvest of joy and meaning and great relationships healing and transformation. And our real prayer, our fervent prayer will become, Lord, in a world that gives us so many things that distract us, Lord, you can have all this world. You can have all those things in this world that promise so much and they don't deliver. Lord, you can have all this world. Just give me Jesus. And Lord, that is our prayer. 
that in a world that distracts us so much that you would just give us yourself. Lord, help us to get rid of those weeds, those things that are holding us back. Lord, those places where we are not letting you sink deeply into our lives. Help us to open up, be changed, and be transformed by you and follow you with everything we've got. We ask this in your name, Jesus. Amen.